Well, welcome back, everyone. My name's David, if I haven't met you. And while we are online, I'm absolutely stoked that we get to still do church together, that we get to sit under God's Word, the Bible, together. And so we're going to hear from Isaiah 40. So if you'd like to open your Bibles up to Isaiah 40, and it's a pretty long passage today. And so what I would like you guys to do is look out for word pictures, which just means looking out for spots where um, the writer of Isaiah is describing something using metaphors. So I'll give you one straight up. Um, In verse 4, it says, Every valley will be raised up and every mountain will be made low. It's a little bit of a word picture there describing something going on. So I want you to try and count how many different word pictures you can find. Maybe write them down. um, Maybe draw something that's relevant to them um, and let us know how many you found later. Isaiah 40, starting at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, or their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who, that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord, or instructed him as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge, or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom, then, will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman crafts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and a fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Did you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. 
He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. A whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. everyone. Uh, it's good to join with you, even if it's online this morning. Uh, I'm glad that you could join us, whether it's on Facebook or it's on YouTube. Uh, this morning, as, uh, as we, we try, try to keep things as normal as possible, we're going to continue on with our series looking at the book of Isaiah. Sorry, I didn't introduce myself. My name's Prash. I'm the senior minister here at St. Stephen's. If you're joining us, uh, we have been looking at the book of Isaiah for the last four weeks. And we're continuing that series this morning. We turn to what is a pivotal, literally a pivotal chapter in the book, Isaiah chapter 40, where the story of the book turns. Uh, It's been bad news for a while for Israel and Judah, the people of God in the Old Testament. There's been lots of words of of judgment. But today, the passage started with those great words, comfort, comfort. It's very appropriate given the the weekend that we're in here at Sydney. Uh, It's appropriate given the world that we are living in over the past 18 months. Comfort, comfort. But we bring assumptions to the word comfort, don't we? And some of those assumptions actually are are quite evident just in the products uh, around us that use it. Uh, Here's a couple of examples. Comfort in. Comfort is is a mark of hospitality. It's a luxury item. Uh, Comfort, some kind of washing powder. Comfort, it it gives us the reminder of a bed with a warm doona. Comfort food on a cold day. And uh, even powdered milk. Comfort. These are the things that perhaps you don't immediately think about, but what they reflect is an assumption when we hear the word comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. Although when you look at all four of these items, uh, whether it's a luxury, well, Comfort Inn is not a luxury hotel, but the idea that recreation might be a form of comfort, whether it's the goods and services in our life, whether it's just the, 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 the privilege of eating a lovely hearty meal or raising our children, comfort, comfort. They're all good things, but in some senses, all of them are, if not vacuous, at least inadequate, aren't they? We need a greater comfort than that. 
And one of the challenges for us as we look at this, this chapter in Isaiah is that actually for the last 12, 13 ver- chapters of the book, Isaiah the prophet has actually been rebuking those people who are both spiritually and materially comfortable. He's saying that's not enough. So when he says comfort, comfort to his people, he's speaking about something else. So what is it actually that God is offering when he speaks about comfort? In the first 11 verses of the chapter, you go back and have a reader, or maybe you've got your Bible in front of you now, you'll see there's, there's a sense in which that's a section of this chapter, and that is really unpacking what that comfort is. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, says God to his prophet, and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. Comfort is, in a sense, a relief of the physical suffering. But even more, comfort is a relief of the spiritual the spiritual root of all of our suffering. And then comfort is the reminder that ultimately actually God's people will see him. This is something that in the Old Testament was a, a pipe dream that you could see the, God, the, the glory of God. But the comfort that Isaiah says is ultimately you will get to see God. This is a people he's speaking to who will read this when they're in the midst of exile. And he says to them, you will see the Lord again. In fact, he says the promises The promises that he makes, verse 8, will endure forever. These are real promises. There's real assurance behind this comfort. In fact, the thing that's so challenging about God's comfort is that it is a deeper comfort than those early ideas that we might have imported in, which are purely material. God's comfort is a deep spiritual comfort, which sits at the root of all of our needs. It's a spiritual comfort which says, yes, I will ultimately meet your physical suffering, but I'll meet your relational needs, I'll meet your emotional needs, I'll meet your spiritual needs. It's a deep spiritual comfort. Now, in our our culture, in our world, especially here in Australia, people have little time for the spiritual things. But if you go to a funeral, people still talk in spiritual terms. They may not use Christian ideas but they still talk in terms of an afterlife, of longings. I mean, we fight over who goes to heaven and hell, even though we claim not to believe in it, because the spiritual things still matter. And God is saying he is offering, he's offering a comfort that deals with our deepest spiritual needs. Now, the question, of course, for Israel is, where do we go? Where do we look to? What is the source for this? He's preparing them for many years of exile. Isaiah is writing before the exile even takes place, but he can see it coming. He can see that Babylon is coming. And so these words in Isaiah 40 actually preparing Israel, Judah, to experience this time of deep longing, deep need, deep want. And what he says is that if you want to experience this comfort, You have to actually look at God's character. You have to look at who God is. And in verses 12 through to 24 of the chapter, the next section, so to speak, Isaiah is painting lots of these word pictures, those things that David talked about. And kids, if you're at home and you've got the Lego out and you're rumbling around, you think "This this part of the service is not for me, well, actually it is. These are the word pictures we want you to recreate Help us oldies get back into God's word and see the things that he's painting. There's lots of word pictures in these verses, 12 to 24. Here, let me give you a couple of examples to see the very character of God that's been painted to us. Uh, In verse 12, 
Isaiah writes, Who has measured the waters in the hollows of his hand? Or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? This morning when you went to the bathroom and you turned on the tap and you cupped some water to wash your face, as you turned on and turned off that faucet, you did not change, you did not change the, uh, the, the, the movement of a single wave in the ocean. But Isaiah says that every wave of the ocean is in the hollow of God's hand. Such is the size, he goes and said, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or in a bucket? I mean, if you've taken a child to the, to the beach and they're playing in the, in, on the sand and they fill a bucket, Isaiah says, God's bucket contains every grain of sand in every, every beach and desert in the world. Of course, the picture here is of the enormity of God, the awesomeness of God, the size of God. He's weighed mountains on scales. And so he goes on in verse 14, he's, whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Each of us is taught something. At some point in our life, someone has taught us something. Even those of us who might want to claim that we teach most people most things. We were taught something at some point in our life, but the Lord has never needed, he has never needed a counsel. In fact, Isaiah is talking in this passage about the reality that uh, in most religions, gods were like part of a council, a divine council, but God does not need counsel. His knowledge, his understanding, his insight in all things is perfect, is sufficient. God knows everything. No one speaks to him. He does not need you to aid him. God is large. He's extraordinarily large. His insight, his knowledge is extraordinary. He sees everything. I don't know how you'll convey that, kids. I look forward to seeing it. Finally, though, he says, God's authority is extraordinary. He says he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Every ruler, even the most powerful, effective ruler, has ended up in a grave. God has no ending. In fact, he is the one who brings everything to naught. You know, the thing about God is that he has no beginning and no ending. In fact, as a child, sometimes you might be able to understand to some extent that God has no ending. I mean, you watch enough sci-fi shows, you, you come up with this idea of people getting new bodies and kind of regenerating. But the idea that someone has no beginning, that is when our conception of God is extraordinary. We cannot actually conceive of a being that has both no beginning and no end, and yet that is how the Scriptures talk about God. And before we are to say that is impossible, when we start to really meditate on the idea of the divine, we realize, of course, God must be completely different to anything we've encountered. Everything we encounter is created, but God is so other. And here's the extraordinary insight that Isaiah is bringing in Isaiah 40. Not just that God is large, but that God's majesty is actually the source of his comfort. God's majesty is the source of his comfort. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there, maybe you're one of them who's watching today. You think, oh, when I think of the Bible, there's the Old Testament. That's, that's the big God, the powerful God, the crushing God, the destroying God. And then there's the God of the New Testament. He's the kind, warm, comfortable God, the cuddly God. But Isaiah is saying, first of all, you find the comforting God, the cuddly, the warm, the loving God in the Old Testament. But even more than that, he is saying that God's comfort actually comes from his majesty. God's comfort comes from his awesomeness, from his power. 
And you know what's really interesting? Isaiah's great challenge to us is not just, oh yes, God is powerful. There's a very specific application. A very specific, this is how you really draw on the comfort, you see. Verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. It's a really interesting word that Isaiah is using. You know, if you've never read the Old Testament before, you, you, you may not realize that actually what we read in English was originally written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for hope is also the same word for wait. For wait, to be patient. You see, what it looks like to draw on the comfort of the majestic God is to be patient with him, is to wait, is to hope, to vest all of your things in him. And as I say to Israel, your job over the next years as you're in exile is to actually wait for God because that's where you'll find your comfort. Wait for him, be patient with him, Hope in him. Rest everything you have in him. And you know what? Isaiah's message is a message for us too. Not just this weekend when we're shut down because of COVID-19. It's a message for all of our life. At all times. Wait for the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Rest everything in his majesty. In his power. You know, I went to a wedding last weekend before everything got shut down. And uh, at the wedding, there was a little, uh, a little uh, flower girl and page boy at the start of the wedding. They were petrified as they came in because the church was reasonably full and all these adults were looking at them. I realized, of course, because these little kids are so short that they actually weren't higher than the pews. So all these big faces were staring down on them. Ultimately, what it took was a bridesmaid, an adult, much taller than, in fact, ridiculously tall. You should have seen the size of her heels to grab the little page boy's hand and walk them down because she obviously had a very different perspective. When we get our perspective of God right, we find the resources to wait on him. And that's where we find the real comfort. You see, a big God, a big God is a source of comfort, says Isaiah. Draw on his character. Now what's really interesting is that Isaiah is actually warning us against something. In verse 26 it says, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these, he asks. He doesn't say, look to the heavens and find your comfort, but look to the one who created all of them. In fact, as he, as he contrasts God, he, he draws a picture of God and then he contrasts him with these other smaller things that people often seem to invest their comfort in, find their comfort in. Uh, in nations, in civil authorities, in good government, that'll give us comfort. Do our leaders know what they're doing? That'll give us comfort. In religion and religious practices, he describes them as wooden idols made by people. We could describe them as simply the regular practices. If I do this thing, I'll be okay. And each time, he's not just saying God is bigger than those things. He's saying those things are not sufficient. They don't really provide you and I with comfort. They don't really provide us with comfort. Nations fall. Rulers come to naught. Idols topple over. Think about the things that you're going to comfort, looking for comfort right now in your life. They are insufficient compared to the majesty of God. Perhaps you think, my comfort will be in getting a new flat screen TV, getting the gardening done, feeling productive over the next couple of weeks. 
of, of connecting with my relatives, that'll be my comfort. Of having my family around me, that'll be my comfort. I tell you, all of those things ultimately are insufficient for the deep spiritual comfort that we all need. We need to look to God. We need to look to his character. We need to embrace his majesty. You see, there is no comfort in a small God, actually. There is no comfort. And I think we've been taught that in Sydney. Again, I suspect our brothers and sisters in Melbourne are nodding their heads because they've learnt this a few times over. How quickly we've reverted to those small gods for their comfort. And it's been stripped from us. How often we need to be reminded there is no comfort in a small God. The comfort comes in the majesty, the power, and the awesomeness of God, of God himself. Kids, how are you going with your Lego creations? What have you got? We'd love to see it. Send it through. Because actually behind all those pictures is a picture of God himself. Now here's the problem for us. I can say a big God is a God of comfort, but for most of us, our assumptions about God kick in and they they subvert what we're hearing here. For a lot of us, actually, we think, how can a God for whom I am like a grasshopper, says Isaiah, be concerned with my needs? If If all the people are like grasshoppers, if all the nations are like fine dust, how can God really be concerned with my needs and with the needs of my city and my nation? But see what Isaiah says. God is not the God of your assumptions. Verse 26b, he says, He who brings out the starry host one by one, the big God, and calls forth each of them by name. You hear the intimacy in what he's saying? See, God is not too big to be intimate. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. In fact, it's not. His majesty doesn't, doesn't inhibit his intimacy It fuels it. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Because of his great power, he can do that. He can know everything about you. Jesus says he knows every hair on your head. Actually, his power allows him to be this intimate, powerful God. But even that idea might scare some of us because we think, God knows everything about me? He knows knows everything Doesn't that mean he knows every failing about me? Doesn't that reveal every problem with me? And one of our other assumptions kicks in. We think, if God really knew me, he wouldn't want me. You know, in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, verse 2, right at the start of the thing, he said this. You may have have heard it and actually made you feel slightly uncomfortable. He says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim to her that a hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I reckon there's a lot of people who read that and they think, God has extracted enough punishment from Jerusalem now. He's happy with them. He's extracted enough from them. But you see, the problem there is that you're, you're reading that passage with your own assumptions of God, not with what Isaiah is really saying. Because think about what he says in verses 29, 30 and 31. God gives strength to the weak. God gives strength to the weak. God doesn't want to extract something from you. He wants to give something to you. That is the God of the Bible. And that is what's being revealed here. Here's here's what Barry Webb 
one, uh, one commentator says, says, the glory of God is not just or even essentially his power. That's where we would stop. We'd say the glory of God is power. But Isaiah, Isaiah is revealing to us, this is what Barry Webb picks up, but his servanthood. The fact is that no one and nothing is too small to be important to him or worthy of his attention and care. That's a word to you this morning. No one and nothing. That's you. No one and nothing is too small to be important to him or worthy of his attention and care. You know, Thomas Goodwin, who was a Puritan preacher, says, God is like a father to a sick child. If you're a parent, you know this. Your, your kid is bugging you all day. They're getting more and more grumpy. They're not listening to you. They're whinging. They're whining. You're getting more and more annoyed with them. But suddenly you realize later in the afternoon, they're actually sick. They've got a cold. And, and your heart, rather than being reviled by this child, is extraordinarily, wondrously drawn even closer to them. You see... You, as a parent in that moment, you long for you. You hate the sickness in their child, but you are, you are drawn to them. And this is the picture of God that we see in Isaiah. You see, our sins move God to mercy, not to anger. Our sins move God to mercy, not to anger. Of course, he hates the sin. But God loves his people. And so actually, when he perceives the sin in us, his heart is first a heart of mercy towards us, like a child to a sick, it's like a parent to a sick child is drawn to them, even more so, out of pity and mercy and love, God is drawing to you. You see, actually, what Isaiah said was, he said, she has received from the Lord's head double for all her sins. In other words, God has paid out of his own hand double, so that there is no doubt. How can he do this? How can he do this? How can he switch from talking about all of, Isaac, all of Jerusalem and Israel and Judah's failings to talk about comfort? Well, the answers are going to be unpacked in the next chapters of Isaiah. But we who have read the scriptures, who know the story of Jesus, know that ultimately Jesus came. He says from his own words, not for the healthy but for the sick. Jesus is an expression of God's great heart which moves towards us, not first with anger, but with mercy. And Jesus, in his death, offers us the full payment for our sins. And in his life, offers us a holiness which is more than worthy. He's paid double. He's paid double. You see, all of your religious activities always leave you wondering, have you done enough? Am I good enough? Jesus has done enough and he is good enough. And he is the God who Isaiah is proclaiming to Israel and who is offering you and I comfort. Deep comfort will extend, which will extend beyond this fortnight. Comfort which is eternal and needed. I'm going to pray for us now. And after that, David is going to lead us in a song which reminds us of this extraordinary truth of God's character. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your heart is like the heart of a parent to a sick child. You are not repulsed by us, but you are drawn to us in mercy and pity. 
You love us. You long for us. You long for us to experience your comfort. Give us a heart which is willing to accept your offer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.